the thing that made the most sense was to become a lawyer. There was no plan B. Pinstripe suit, a pencil skirt, a, a satin blouse and a briefcase, and I'm going to go and kick some ass. The idea that I had in my mind of what this career is, is not even close to it. Welcome back, Storytimers. This is the final episode of season one. Taking us out of 2022 is Jo, dialing in from sunny South Africa. Jo isn't your typical lawyer. She's not your average Jo. She helps creative legal professionals ditch that mask and step into their personal power. She's a certified high-performance coach, powerlifter, and proud creative. Let's meet Jo. Welcome to Stories That Connect Us. I am delighted to have you on the show. How are you doing today? You're kind of breaking my virginity, just to be honest with you. It's my first ever podcast recording that I've done. Um, I think the normal thing for me would have been to say that I'm nervous, but I'm not really because you make it so easy and so comfortable. I'm a tad bit tired. I had a bit of a, a big deadlift session this morning. And I'm just kind of, I think, feeling the after effects of that on top of a very hectic week, I guess. How are you? I am really looking forward to this conversation. And yeah, you shocked me when you said that that I've broken your virginity. I was like, where is she going with this? (laughs) (laughs) But I really love that uh, way that you describe it. This is your first podcast guesting uh, venture. So may it be the first of many, Joe. Well, I hope so, because I'm much like many people out there just love sharing parts of myself if asked questions it's it's something that I don't want to spoil anything but as a coach it's something that if somebody asks you genuinely asks you questions you kind of get really excited because as a coach you usually not usually you do ask all the questions and you listen it's really that somebody asks you like really in-depth questions so it's like yes Nikki bring it on bring it on so the conversation we're going to have today is going to be around your journey to become a hotshot lawyer inspired by US legal sitcoms. And we're going to also look at how damaging it can be to our soul if we can't be who we really are, 9, 10, 11 hours of the day. I mean, imagine what that does to us. So through your personal experience, you've been able to figure out what you think is wrong with the legal profession and the help that lawyers actually need. So let's delve into your story from where it begins. And we're all shaped by our earliest years. So can you tell me about your earliest years and what were the strongest personality traits that really defined who you've become today? Growing up in a household without a father, I had a very strong, dominant, career-driven mother. She set this example for me. And I think at that stage, I was about 15 years old. I absolutely loved watching Ellie McBeal. It was kind of like one of our favorite shows in the house as well. Me, my brother and my mother, we used to watch it all the time. And I just remember I was so infatuated by this profession. The suits, the power, the the banter. And I mean, at that stage, I didn't quite obviously catch everything or get everything or understood everything properly. But I mean, for me, it made enough sense to know that this is a career because I mean, at that stage, also, you didn't have social media, you didn't have exposure to all of the amazing made up careers that exist today. It was basically the top five. You were 
either to become an accountant, a lawyer, doctor, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, the most, the thing that made the most sense was to become a lawyer, to kind of throw myself into that direction. And I was so adamant that I wanted to do that, that there was no plan B. What did you love to do growing up? What kind of child were you? One of my fondest memories and it's something that I actually carry around with me I I had a I don't know what you want to call her she used to be like a a certified dietitian slash nutritionist but she went into like energy healing and delving deep into inner child work etc so I've been seeing her on and off for the past like four years and we actually did a stint in terms of inner child work and one of the the memories that she also brought up for me was one it's me sitting and playing in a tree by myself, but it's, it's a very big yard. And I remember this house, it was our first house and it's, it's kind of like the sun has a backdrop. And I just remember I was in such a fantasy world. I was, I was bouncing around on that tree. Like it was never going to break. I was, it was almost like time stood still for me in that moment. So whenever, and this is something that I do quite often, whenever I do feel a sense of, um, darkness or negative emotions I tend to go back to that space because the sun and just those those imagery kind of make me feel really safe and comfortable I greatly remember like the outdoors if I think back to my my early childhood years I always I was always outdoors I was always barefoot playing in mud or dirt or sand or climbing a tree chasing bunnies. That's like, if I can think back, those are the the main things that I actually recall from my childhood. I love that description. It was so vivid. And it's nice to hear that when you need that memory and that place of safety and comfort, you're able to go back to that vision. So are there things about your character? Because I know, obviously, you, you got into law um, and that was, you know, partly fueled by Ali McBeal and Boston Legal and some of those other US dramas that we spoke about. But obviously, just thinking about, you know, lawyers and fighting for the underdog and fighting for yourselves. Is that something that was sort of came natural to you when you were when you were growing up? It's a strange thing to say. And I think if you speak with a lot of people, they might also resonate with this. I always felt that there was something a bit special or different about me when I was interacting with people when I was engaging it's almost like my mind was focused on other things it wasn't necessarily focused on just going to school and doing school activities I was always a bit of a dreamer and always a bit of a person that believed in things even though I didn't quite understood it at the time and for me I've never had a problem with speaking up like confidence for me was never an issue it's weird if I think about it now versus when it actually was I think confidence becomes a bigger issue throughout your life but when I was young for me I didn't have issues speaking with anybody I mean I was friends with everybody it was kind of a weird thing I was friends with the geeks with the jocks I was kind of a jock and a geek all at the same time so for me confidence was a really big thing and I think I had this very big sense of of justice in me from a young age like differentiating between what's right and what's wrong I think my mum or perhaps that's just a part of my characteristics um, instilled that in me in terms of knowing what is right and what was wrong and I always thought back if I if I think back to like high school and just my younger years I can actually remember or recall so many times where there were situations and I always ended up 
being the mediator for whatever reason. Parents, my friends' parents always trusted me. Like I was the one who got handed the car keys, for example, to drive, to take us <laughs> out to, to clubs, etc. So for some reason, and again, I'm not sure what that is, but but people have described me as a little bit of an old soul. But with that, I, I always felt like a sense of maturity and justice. It does make sense the way that you describe it, you know, wanting to speak up for yourself and others. And that's, if you think about some of the tenets of what a lawyer does, it's speaking up on behalf of your of your client. One of the things that I know, and, I, and I've understood this more, certainly in 2022, through my own sort of self-discovery, is that our value system often guides what we think, what actions we take, what decisions we decide to make. What were the values that you held dear to you growing up and, and how they link to, I guess, what you went on to do in the law profession? It's such a loaded question, Nikki, because it's something that most people think values, because if I, I also um, ask a lot of people, like, what are your values? What are you driven by? What, are you, what is your purpose? And then most people kind of mumble integrity, respect, honesty, <laughs> like the the stuff that you get taught at a at a primary school level almost, and even in a household, it's like, yes, you must respect your elders and you must do this and you must do that. But it's only at a later stage where you actually really start understanding what your, what your actual values are. I think for me, the one core value that I feel like hasn't changed throughout my life is speaking up for others when others don't have a voice and standing up for what is right, even though it's hard. Now, if I was to say, like, what are my core values, it would actually be a very difficult thing to explain. So there's a there's a little exercise that I always tell people to do. I'm going to just quickly run over it. So it's something that I also, um, I quite like doing this because I trick people. So I ask people, what would you say your top five values are? And then the person obviously recites one, two, three, four, five. Okay, cool. So then I ask them, cool, please write that down for me. You keep that. You don't even have to show me. Then I want you to go away and think about the following. If you were to be stranded on an island for the rest of your life with five people only, they can be made up. They can be imaginary in existence. You've met them. You know them. You've never met them. It can be whatever. It can be Superman. It can be literally anybody. Then I want you to write down the, the three top characteristics of each of those people and why you would want to kind of spend eternity with them. And I just leave it there. And then as people come back to the session or the next session, or we have a conversation, it's like the things that they say there does not align with what they actually think their values are. And here's the, here's the, the fun part. I usually tell people or share with them. So the, the five things that you wrote down thinking, okay, cool. So these are my values. This is what drives me. That's total BS. But these three characteristics of these five people are actually the things that you value yourself and that you yourself either possess in small parts or large parts. And people usually look at me and they're like, this makes so much sense. When you ask somebody a very superficial question, you'll get a superficial answer. But when you ask somebody to go a bit deeper and understand what it is that they are actually looking for, the truth tend to comes out. It's so true around feeling the need to say, oh, integrity, honesty, these are the things that we might think that we need to say. It's always those shoulds and coulds as opposed to what really we're, we're driven by. So you trained in the legal profession 
Uh, so you followed through on your Ali McBeal dream. Uh, you practiced law for many years. What were your hopes and dreams for this career? What change did you want to see in the world as you stepped, you know, out from the college classroom and into, you know, a legal practice? When I went and studied law, I obviously had idea X, okay? And the longer-ish term plan was to be... Now, in our country, I know South African and British law is very much the same. It's based on the same system. But for us, we have advocates and attorneys. You guys have solicitors, barristers, and also lawyers. So there is a little bit of a difference, but it's more or less the same. So for me, my long-term plan was to become an advocate, which I think is the equivalent to a solicitor or a barrister on your side. I'm not 100% sure about the terminology. But it's a different avenue in the law. You go and do your articles to become a lawyer and then you if you want to become an advocate that's an additional whatever training you can do that directly but for me that wasn't the path because I know you still need to get some experience and it's easier to do it just becoming an attorney and then moving over to that so that was my goal like I wanted to be an and I always say this a nauseatingly successful advocate fighting for the little guy but like winning it like in my mind this was going to be I want to say the easiest profession, but I didn't, I never really had the foresight to think about what am I stepping into? What is this actually going to look like? What are my day-to-day activities going to be? Did I speak with people in the profession? No, I was just like, yep, I'm going to do it. going to get me a, a pinstripe suit, a pencil skirt, a, a satin blouse and a briefcase, and I'm going to go and kick some ass on behalf of people. Bill. Yes, 100%. And I promise you, I dressed that way. I had a a range of beautiful like satin shirts and pencil skirts. And because I'm really tall, I used to wear heels. So people, I think in my mind, would have been so intimidated by me. And I absolutely loved it. Nikki, I flourished. Like if I walked into a courtroom and there was, especially like the men in our profession, I was taller than I think about 60% of them. So that was for me and my ego. Oh my word. I cannot describe to you that feeling. That kind of power stance, power dress, power suit, as you were saying, that was your vision of what things would be like. So how did that differ when you actually got yourself settled and put your feet under the table a bit more yo so it took about seven months I started my article so that's my training to become a lawyer you have to do two years or one years I opted for the two years because I always believe in getting more experience than not so I did the two years thing I started with a small law firm that was right around from the corner where I used to live with my mum So it was very convenient. I actually walked to the interview that I can remember that. And I got there and the there were two directors. It was a a lady and a guy. And they were just the most amazing people. And they were selling me this dream. And I was like, yes, I want to be a part of this. So I joined and we were a bunch of youngsters at that stage also going through training. So it was a very like close-knit You almost had your best friends working with you and it was fun and it was jokey. And yes, here or there, your directors came and kind of shat on you for not being better. But it took me about seven months to realize that the idea that I had in my mind of what this career is, is not even close to it. You think you're going to step into a firm with a real, 
like ball busting high profile clients, etc. But then you end up really doing the grunt work. You go to post offices, you go to, I, I can't even, I don't want to even go to the, the, the depths that I'm, that I'm talking about because it's so, it's painful. I remember there was a situation because you go to town quite often, like to, to the city center and there's no parking. And I know this sounds really trivial to people. I has I had to park somewhere and then quickly run to the, the master's office to file some deceased estate stuff. And there are car guards that watch your vehicle and they always expect you to kind of give them some, some cash. When I got back to the car, I was like, hell no, I'm not giving you any cash. I was here for five minutes. And there was actually one or two. And then at a certain stage, there were three of them that kind of stepped into my space blocked my door pushed my door open and kind of said to me that if I don't give them at least 20 bucks or whatever they will either kick a dent into my car steal my sunglasses forcefully remove them etc 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 I I mean at that stage I'm a 20 something female being harassed in in broad daylight I remember there I actually had like 20 bucks in my purse and I was just like take it take it take it and I was driving home and I was crying because I was so shaken. I was so rattled. And that was just one incident. There's a there's many more of these incidences. And when I got back to the office at the stage, I didn't get any compassion from any of my female or my male directors. Nobody said to me like, Joe, this is absolutely horrible. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. It's just like, oh, you okay? Okay, cool. Let's go on with the day. It was almost like it was a non-event. In my mind, that was a really traumatic event that I actually kind of mulled over because I was afraid to go back even though nothing happened it was just it was so it was such an eye opener for yeah it's 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 not as glamorous as as you would you were late to believe exactly because because I've definitely heard that word before grunt work and something else I definitely picked up on what you said there was there was no compassion no understanding, no empathy. You were wanting to be supported by your colleagues that you thought were like a, you know, a real tight knit community. And then you come back and find that that isn't quite the case when you really need it. So this initial honeymoon or rose tinted spectacle period uh, clearly began to vanish away. And it sounds like what you're saying is the image that you had didn't match up. And that maybe you didn't feel like you fitted in. Would would that be a fair thing to say? Definitely. I mean, even at that stage, I had quite a few tattoos, not as many as I do today, but I had tattoos. And I was also so careful where I got them. Like, where was the, the next one going to be? Um, because I remember I got into so much shit for just, I have a little swallow on the top of my chest. And I always felt like, why? Why are you so afraid of this? But I understand I had a conversation with a, another like really creative lawyer yesterday. She she told me exactly the same thing. Like she was always told to cover up, to not show these things when when speaking to, to big investors, etc. Because people have this weird idea in your head. But for me, I always felt like I was putting on a mask. When I was going to work, um, it was like, what suit am I wearing? Not just the clothes but like what personality am I taking with me what what characteristics do I need to show up with in this profession and I'm sure it's this way in a lot of industries but I think for me it was 
especially hard because I went from this small law firm to another law firm and I thought like, okay, cool. So maybe it was just this experience. It was just this one. It's going to be okay, Joe. You made the right decision. It'll be fine. Went to the next law firm, same story. I was like a fish out of water. It's so weird to explain to you, but I've always thought about things differently, like I said. And for me, it was just having conversations with people. It just felt like nothing I really said ever landed. Also, I really felt like I couldn't express my interest. At that stage, I just started like really getting into fitness and running and, and CrossFit and stuff like that. And there was nobody that shared this passion with me. Everybody was just like work, 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 drink, 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 work, work, work. And that's it. I promise you, like there's nobody in this profession throughout my career. Maybe I'll meet them still one day and maybe it's changed. But it, there was nobody that I spoke with like, yes, I love my mother, my father, mm. my husband, my brother. My, there was nothing. In fact, like everybody's going through divorces. Everybody drinks one to three to five times like ex excessively per week. People go on benders. Like for three days, the one guy always used to he used to brag about it. No, he and his his friends from the bar, they they got into a very heavy drinking session and he disappeared for three days and his wife must just be okay with it. And I was like, if you were my husband, I would literally divorce you tomorrow. That's what I would do. So that was so almost no. like their normality, really. So yeah. just thinking back to some of those characteristics that you described about yourself as a child, you know, somebody not afraid to speak up somebody independent did you feel that you could be that person when oh I was oh Nikki I was like I that's the one thing unfortunately or fortunately that I feel maybe counted against me because I didn't keep quiet I think that's kind of the thing that that made me a bit different than the other people around me like my fellow colleagues where they would just take things I would always question like but why why am I doing this for you I think I did mention to you on a previous occasion there was a situation where the one male director kept asking me to make coffee for him but he wasn't asking my male counterparts to do the same thing and in that I just said no why I need to understand why you are asking me to make coffee for you but you are not you're not asking my exact there's nothing different I cannot, I cannot share with you how much fights I've gotten into over the years just because I'm not scared to raise my voice and raise my opinions. Interesting to, to reflect back on the aspects of our character that still shine through even when we have this mask, this physical and meta metaphorical suit on. You were still that vocal, independent, wanting to share your voice and be heard despite the fact that there were other aspects where you didn't feel like you could be yourself um, I know that one of the previous guests on our show Hannah Lip, she spoke about the exhaustion that comes with masking can you relate oh, yes. to this exhaustion oh my yes like <laughs> if I think back to my legal career I can't really think what was I doing with my time <laughs> to be honest with you because yes you work hard you do but I have no recollection about joyous moments, about moments where I had leisure time or I just really did stuff that I enjoyed. For me, it was all, it's, all, it's like a blur. It's like, and I can remember, I, I cried a lot. That's something that you might not know. But even though I'm re this really outspoken person and I'm really masculine in my energy, the assertive side of me, I have such a small heart. 
or big heart. I don't know what you want to call it, but I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I'm very emotional. I cry very easily, which wasn't always the case, but I tend to be actually such a soft and caring and kind individual, but you wouldn't say that. And I think that's kind of where this mask also comes in is that nobody, no, nobody in my legal career ever saw this side of me. Nobody. I thought it didn't exist, to be honest with you. It's only once I've left the legal profession three or four years later that I actually realized like, Joe, what are you doing? Like, what were you doing? Why did you not just show up as your kind, caring self? And then when I really sit with that question, it's like, but nobody taught you that it's okay to do that. In fact, it would have been frowned upon because, and I do believe a lot in masculine and feminine energies and traits, not necessarily gender, et cetera. I'm not going into that, but the, the, the energies associated with that and masculinity um, in the characteristic side, being very dominant, being very aggressive and assertive and um, action orientated and driven. Whereas the feminine side is a lot more softer and receiving and kinder and compassionate and creative and playful. And I think for a lot of women in the legal profession, they suppress their feminine energies to such an extent that their masculine characteristics dominate. And that's also why I think there's such a big imbalance in the legal industry is because women keep showing up as their male counterparts instead of really, 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 really leveraging and harnessing their femininity, which I think is a superpower in this world. There's so much that you shared there that I um pleased that you did. Um, because as you said, you were taking away from gender necessarily, but looking at the energies and some of the traits that, that go with that and the fact that, as you said, some people feel the need to dial up one and turn down the volume massively of the other. And how can we leverage the parts of ourselves that actually allow us to feel more whole? Um, that's certainly what I took away from, from what you said. So you're no longer practicing law. Um, I can imagine that was a hard decision to make because as you said, you wanted this career from, you know, being 14, 15 years old. What did you do to try to stay and what made you finally walk out of the door? Yeah, so I don't, more so lately I do, but back in the day, I did not believe in quitting. I believed that if you've chosen something, you stick to it. If you've committed to something, you stick to it. doesn't matter if it's killing you. Because say, for instance, because nowhere throughout even my legal career studies, my studies, that I feel like, yes, this is amazing. I am so enlightened. I am so engaged and excited about what I'm learning. Everything just felt so difficult. I remember I was sitting in classes and the people around me were like excited and amped and they were partaking. I was just looking at it like, yeah, I don't get it. But I mean, I've got the intellect. So maybe let's just finish this and maybe this is just what it is. Speaking with a lot of people now, they're like, no, they loved studying law. They loved these aspects. I'm like, oh, okay, so I see. Maybe if I just paid a little bit more attention to that, that would have been a red flag already. But coming into the legal profession, I was like, nope, I'm sticking this out. And that's why I kept going. I think I, I worked in actual fact for four firms before I eventually decided like, nope, Joe, the only way for you out is to open your own firm, to do things differently, to do things your way, 
to make law and legal accessible, to make it fun, to make it less serious. And I feel like there's so many lawyers, if they listen to this, they'll probably want to throw me with something if I say this, because law is serious. Yeah, I get it. Law is serious. But it doesn't have to be that way all the time. I think the moment where you start incorporating a little bit of fun in it is where you start enjoying things. And I think that's something that was kind of missing for me as well. So I opened my own law firm. Initially wanted to do it solo, but got introduced to a, a, a male colleague and it's like, we kind of hit it off. And it's like, yes, okay, he's also looking for an opportunity. So we started this firm together and it went really well. I must be honest with you. It was kind of great. I went to work in like harem pants. Um, if I didn't see clients and in flip-flops, etc., I painted because the color scheme was mine. Um, it was like a royal blue and a, a yellow golden sun yellow which I loved like it was really different it was modern it was a bit more funky so I really enjoyed that vibe then there were some things that kind of happened uh, personally and my attention got drawn away from the law firm so I, I wasn't as involved for a few months and another partner had come on board and both of them male and before I found myself not that I'm saying I'm innocent in any of this by no means there's a lot of things that I would dif do differently if I could go back but it's kind of like my law firm got away from me it's like simple stupid mm -hmm. things like the furniture and I know this sounds really 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 petty but it's not like the furniture always used to be light and modern because that's kind of the theme that we all kind of confirmed and then one incident happened where they snuck this big as dark wooded old school boardroom table into this firm of mine without me knowing this without me approving anything etc and that was kind of I don't know it's like weird but it was metaphorically the downfall the beginning of the end for me because the old law firm traditions was creeping in and I was outnumbered and at that stage, I was just like, nope, I'm not going to fight this battle anymore. I am genuinely, I think I'm done with law. I fought this battle for eight years. I think it's time to, to hang this up and just go where my actual curiosity takes me. And where was that? So at that stage, I, I again, like I should have just looked at the signs. I've always been so interested in people. What makes them do the things they do? What motivates them? What what gets them riled up? What sets their soul on fire? Um, before me studying coaching, etc., I knew nothing about coaching. But something came into my mind. Okay, so I'm stepping out of law. I'm 30 years old or 32. No, I was 30, 31. I can't remember. What am I doing? What am I, what am I going to be doing with my time? And I thought that psychology would be the best fit. And I actually registered to go and study psychology, got to that point, And then having conversations with some of my psychologist friends were like, yeah, Joe, it's going to take you 10 years. So if you are okay with going down a whole career path, that's going to take you 10 years just to get somewhere. Then by all means, I saw an Instagram post back at the day when it was still really easy to get discovered, um, sponsored. And it was a chick that posted about, she used to be, a legal advisor for a very big financial institution and she used to motivate people and the one day her boss called her into his office and told her like chick can you please just stop motivating the people around you you need to not allow them to think about work 
outside work. They only must focus on work. And she quit the next day. At that stage, she'd already been coaching for for some time on the side. And that's kind of where it came from. I was just like, I need to meet this girl because I need to understand her journey, what it is that she's talking about. We met, she, she explained coaching to me. And I was like, oh my word, you were like sent to me at the exact time when I was on my way to go and start or, or to go and study psychology. But coaching is exactly what I've always wanted to do. I just didn't know there was a profession for it. So that's when I actually went full on in um, registered for this coaching diploma. I didn't have the money at that stage. I was just like, I was, I was dead set. I was going to do this. The money's going to come. I'm not sure how, How? yes, <laughs> but I'm doing this. I registered. I paid like 10 grand at that stage from one of my credit cards. I just recently left my firm. So I had no form of income, but I was like, Nope, I'm doing this. And then oh, there's a, it's a long story, but due to a few life events, it actually, put me in a position to pursue my coaching diploma for the next six or seven or eight months. So that's kind of for me how I escaped, but it was hard, Nikki, to be honest with you. It was really, it was, it was, so I, for example, tended my notice that I was going to leave the law firm, I think in, in April and I yeah. only eventually left in August. So that's kind of how long it took to just, step out from that but it it's been coming a while but it it was hard it was hard to think that you're going to throw away so much money invested by your parents obviously in your education and secondly the time that you put into it as you said you didn't feel like quitting was an option um and that once you decided to stick or start something you have to stick with it but obviously you've you've since seeing that it's okay to change track and to go down a different route and as as you did with with coaching so today you're working with legal professionals to help them ditch that mask the same mask that you wore um, and you want to help them step into their personal power so to kind of close off the conversation like on reflection what do you think is really wrong with the legal profession and what's the alternative two things Number one, I think the biggest one, ego, and with that lack of self-awareness. And then the second thing for me is a lack of proper support, which includes mentoring, um, coaching, support groups, masterminds, etc. And that's why I do now what I do, because I genuinely, honestly believe that during the phase where I started my law firm or even somewhere during my law career, if I had a mentor or a coach or somebody that really just enabled me to develop as a human and kind of go inwards and understand what it is that I really want. Because again, the legal profession is a beautiful career. It is really, it's, it's, you can get so much pride from it, but not if you do it for the wrong reasons. If you align, I honestly believe this, if you align with, with who you are, practicing law should be a, should be a breeze because it also will teach you how to deal with all of these situations and, and knowing and realizing that the people around you are fast asleep in a, in a conscious slash spiritual way, lack of self-awareness. It's kind of one of those things where hurt people hurt people and having that awareness in terms of, oh, it's not about me. My whatever director is shouting at me and calling me useless again. It's got nothing to do with me. 
it's it's their issue. I'm not taking that. I'd refuse to take that on. I know who I am. I know what I bring to the table. Yes, I'm not perfect. I've got so much room for improvement, but that's that's why I'm here. This is a journey. So the thing for me, definitely, Nikki, it has to be support. The number one reason why I think the legal industry is the way it is, is because there's a lack of support. I think you described it as there were there was no empathy. So if you go yeah. back to that incident when you returned from, you know, being in, in town and, and having that traumatic experience, you didn't experience any empathy coming in your direction. It just simply wasn't there. And there may yeah. be many more incidents where people need a little bit of compassion and empathy coming their way or giving it to themselves, maybe, you know, self-compassion and having that own sort of awareness to say, I know my value and I know my worth. Yeah, 100%. Because that's the other thing. You tend to place all your value and all your worth on your work, on your billable hours, on your directors, on your principals, on whoever else is there externally. But that value, that intrinsic value needs to come from you. If you are, again, like I said, if you are living in alignment with who you are, living in your values, doing the things that you know you should be doing, showing up as your full self, then you don't need other people's approval. You don't need, or it doesn't bother you as much if somebody tells you like the drafting that you just presented is shit. Okay, cool. I get you. Yes, I know. I probably should have done better. But it's like just having that sense of of self, I think goes a yeah, it it can go a long way in, mm-hmm. in healing and helping the elevate, I like to say, elevate the legal consciousness um that is missing. A good message for anyone who perhaps is in the legal profession, either just starting out or has been in it for, for quite a long time. Is there any final message that you'd like to to share that, that you haven't I think the the biggest thing and, and and I feel like this is a theme is it's exactly like you said ditching the mask and and what that means is just really like what makes you who you are if it is something quirky if it is something fun if it is something serious like own that like don't don't let other people convince you that there's something wrong with you because you don't act and look like your peers there's nothing wrong with you and then secondly the personal power aspect for me is taking responsibility like taking personal responsibility for yourself you are not able to control those around you you will never be able to control those around you how they treat you etc but what you can do is you can you can take control of how you show up of how you how you write your future there's 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 nobody in a better position to do that so if somebody treats you a certain way you have the power to do something about that whether or not it is in the way that you respond react um, request etc but there's always something to be done and that's kind of the thing that that I really wish more people realized. You are exactly where you are because you, unfortunately, and I, I say this very tongue-in-cheek, is it's because you, you're creating this for yourself. But it doesn't have to be that way. There are certain things you can do, but self-awareness is, is number one. Absolutely key. So where can people connect with you online, Joe, if they want to follow your journey and find out more about what you're sharing with your community? Yeah, so I am really active on LinkedIn. It's my jam. I love being on there. The community is awesome. Absolutely. Uh, I will be sharing all of that in the show notes, that's for sure. So thank you, Joe, for joining me on Stories That Connect Us. 
Nikki, it has been the the most awesome experience. I loved it. I loved speaking with you. You are an amazing host. And I really, really cannot commend you for how comfortable you make me feel. It's it's an amazing feeling. So thank you so much, Joe. Until yeah, next anytime. time. Well, folks, that's it. The end of season one. Thanks to all the regular listeners and those who have just found the show. Season two will be back in January 2023. We've shared 18 amazing episodes with many wonderful guest stories. Have you listened to them all yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Be sure to check them out over the festive break. Follow Stories That Connect Us on Instagram and tell me your favourite one. If you like the show, please rate it on your podcast platform and share it with a friend. See you in 2023.